Hello, everybody. This is Dale with Nature's Edge. Hope you guys are uh, enjoying this great weather we've been having around uh, here in the Carolinas lately. And I hope you spend a little time getting out into the wild and uh, seeing what's going on, see the world turn green. Uh, the water's blue and it's flowing, so get out there and do some paddling, do some walking uh, on the trail. We've got a got an interesting lady with us today, uh, Miss Christina Gordon. Christina has really chosen a life of simplicity and diversity and is working to help others find that as well. And I'm going to ask her what that all means here in a minute. But she and her partner, Bill, is it Melanson? Mm-hmm, Melanson. Melanson own and operate a, a Fun Follic Farm, which is a small naturally grown farm in Burnsville, North Carolina, where they raise dairy goats and honeybees and free-range laying hens and... and uh, specialty salad uh, mixes and she's also founder of animal fat which is a business that focuses on teaching primitive and sustainable living skills such as fire by friction brain tanning deer skins cheese making soap making and a lot more and we're going to discuss a lot of that stuff with uh, christina today she's also the founder and coordinator for women's wilderness workshops it's a gathering of women uh that's uh, held at different times of the year, I think in late summer. We'll talk to her a little bit about that uh, uh, when she's got one coming up and, and kind of what all she goes through with that. You also are a belly dancer? I am not a belly dancer. Well, it says belly dancing here, Chris. <laughs> we have a belly dancing class. <laughs> a belly dancing. I was told I should take it. <laughs> <laughs> a belly dancing class. Well, I, I won't be attending that, but... Leslie might. Leslie might come out. Leslie's a dancer. She might come out there and do that. So, Christina, welcome to Nature's Edge, my friend. Thank you, Dale. You uh, are an interesting, have an interesting life. And I want to just start off uh, talking about Fun Frolic Farm. Where did that name come from? Well, me and my fellow Bill were talking about what to name the farm, and we decided that we're having fun, and the goats are frolicking, and that all makes it a farm, so... There you have it. There you got it. Pretty that, simple. That is is on, and you, and you guys are actually in Yancey County. That's right, North Yancey Carolina, County, and mm-hmm. uh, over there, and you got goats. I do. What kind of goats? I have got purebred Nubian dairy goats. And what is different between a Nubian dairy goat and other goats? Well, it could be the milk? breed, or is it a meat goat, or is it a brush goat? Yeah, it's a it's a milking animal. Um, I believe Nubian goats actually originate from Africa. Um, there are many different dairy breeds. They're the only ones with the cute floppy ears and that scream real loud. They have a really rich butter fat uh, in their milk, and so they're the ones I chose years ago. Leslie, what are you doing over there? Sorry. At the- uh, all of you know my, my great producer, Leslie Godbold, and she's uh, having uh, a coughing fit over here on the air, people. She can't even turn her mic off, but that's okay. <laughs> Christina, Christina and I, we're talking about goats. Now, the, the Nubians, um, is that like the goats that they it, uh, they have up at, uh, who's that guy that used to write poetry uh, that lives in Flat Rock that died? You got me. Um, Sandberg. Oh yeah, they do. They like got. A, I think they've got talking birds and Nubians there over there. There you go. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I just went blank on his name, and uh, so. Uh, but it don't, is it Nubians? It is. They is have that, got Nubian dairy goats there. I've not actually been to the Sandberg home myself to 
to uh, view their goats. But you know, I don't live that far from it, and I've never been. Mm-hmm. But I know they got goats. Yeah, I do have one of their descendants in my herd this year, though. Do you? <laughs> I do. So, how many goats do you have? Oh goodness! Right now, I've sold five this week, but we are at two six. So you milk them? I do every morning. Every, every morning, night. every evening, every evening. Once the babies are weaned, do you? Yeah. So. I know about dairy cattle, so is it about the same thing? They, they have the baby, and you, you wean them off you pretty do. quick? They've got a fall breeding keep... season, and uh, breed in the fall of the five-month gestation, and they usually kit out early spring anywhere from February all the way through April or May, depending on your breeding. And then um, I leave the babies on 8 to 12 weeks and wean them halfway, halfway through that and start milking in the morning and then fully wean them and sell them and keep a few does if I want to build the herd or sell the few baby does if I want to make them I was going to ask smaller. you if you keep the does to uh, to replenish your herd or, mm-hmm. or do you, when you need, uh, are, are you more likely to go buy, uh, buy the does already ready to, to milk? No, I'd rather keep baby dolings if I'm going to. If I'm going to replenish the herd, and and the little bucks, they the ones that go away. Little bucks go away, and yep. uh, and and are and are sold. Uh, my wife has always wanted a baby, but uh, no, <laughs> she's, she's, we don't get a baby goat. You get two I know, baby goats. I know, you get two <laughs> baby goats uh, in there. Now you milk goats from behind. I sit beside them. Oh, do you? And I like lay my head on their belly. There you go. Well, I I grew up milking cows, and so I would uh, do the same thing. I'd, mm-hmm. I'd put my head in there. But I, I, for some reason, and maybe it's just people that I've seen milk goats sit behind them. But. Some people do. Yeah, it depends on your setup and your milk stand and whether you're using machines or milking by hand. If you got your stand against a wall or now, yeah, do you I'm use, a side milker. Do you use machines or you're... Or you use your hands? I hand milk my goats at, at our place. Yeah, We just have two does in milk now. I've sold two does that were in milk last week and went from four to two because I wanted more time. How much, and I could I know i got people out there saying, I wonder how much milk a goat gives at a milking. Depends on the goat and the time of year. There we go. That's a good. <laughs> so are we talking about a pint? Or are we talking about a quarter? Or are we talking about a half a gallon? I'd say a pint per milking is a small milk, and I'd say a half a gallon per milking once a day is a lot for a dairy goat. Now, you've milked the goat, and you've got the milk, and you do a number of different things with it, correct? I do. I make you, cheese and soap and lotions. You make cheese and soap and lotions mm-hmm. and, and drink it? A little bit. A little bit of little it. Bit, on yeah. the, on the... Not a huge milk drinker, but I'm a large cheese eater. Well, it's, it's just hard milk. <laughs> In the, um, I, how did you get, how, what got you into goats? Yeah, you know, I'd have to say it originally started when I was a child. My mom had an aunt and uncle who raised goats, and we would go bottle feed babies every spring. And so that, I think, is where the goat seed actually got planted. But then I would say many years later, I was hanging with some folks in North Georgia who wanted to start a farm, and they said, what would you like to do? I said, I'd like to have goats. Couldn't tell you why, but for some reason I was drawn to goats, and so some years later moved onto that property and got two goats, which turned into five goats, which turned into fifteen goats, which then got sold and started again with four goats. And, and just, <laughs> so the um, so the goats. So you're milking them. You got the milk, and then I, I'd never heard of goat soap. Goat milk soap. Goat milk soap. Maybe mm-hmm. I had, but I, you know, can you eat it? No, but people do say my soap looks like fudge. <laughs> is that a good? It smells good, good enough to eat. Yes, it does. <laughs> it uh, is a and, good thing. And then the uh, 
and the and then the cheese you make you make cheese and so mm-hmm. now you you sell the milk uh soap and you sell the cheese where do you at farmers markets where do you market your product well both some people come by the farm to buy um milk and i only sell milk raw milk raw goat milk uh as a feed under a feed license with the North Carolina Department of Agriculture. Yeah. So you can't sell raw milk for human consumption in the state of North Carolina. So it's all sold as pet food. Um, and that and that simply has to do with the health issues, I guess. Health issues they, related to raw milk. Related mm-hmm. to, uh, to the raw milk. And then... Uh, um, and then and then you make the cheese. Make cheese for us to eat at can, home. Yeah. And then um, do you have a website that people can order your stuff? I do. Funfrolicfarm.com. Funfrolicfarm.com. And they can go on there and order soap or... Soaps and lotions, and, classes, workshops, brain tan buckskins. Yeah, we're going to talk about that in, in a few minutes and, and some of the other things there. But I... I had to get this this uh, uh, goat information out of the way now. <clears throat> what is an NCDA registered raw goat milk? It's a pet feed license with the that's North Carolina Department that's of Agriculture. What the, that's what the the pet feed license is mm-hmm. for. So I could I could give it to my kitty cats. You sure can. Or my dogs, or um, other animals. I guess that you all mammals and uh, in there, and then uh, consume it myself. Leslie's jumping up and down. I hear music going in my ear, so that must mean we're up against a break. You're listening to Dale with Nature's Edge, and we will be back and talk to Christina some more. Is this my music? Leslie says it is. This is Dale. We are back with Nature's Edge. We're talking to Christina Gordon. Christina's uh she's an organic farmer, she's a brain tanner, she's a veterinary assistant, or was a veterinary assistant. She's a soap maker, a cheese maker, she's an educator, and she's also vice chair of the board of directors for Earth Skills Rendezvous and uh, is a co owner operator of Fun Frolic Farm and uh Christina is also a coordinator of uh, women's wilderness workshops, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more. And she's also the founder of Animal Fat. But right now we're talking about the farm. We just uh, last segment we were talking to uh, Christina about her goats, and she was giving us a little bit of a educate. Are, are are goats are they fairly easy to keep and raise? I mean, can can someone with a very small amount of acreage? handle uh, some goats absolutely we have three acres that we're on on the south toe river so then probably only an acre of that total opened up that the goat goats move through because they they will um they're they're pretty hardy at um you see the jokes where goats will eat anything and everything is that will they do that no they'll nibble everything but they won't actually consume it no mm-hmm so they're not going to eat my shotgun shells if uh, I leave them out there. No, they might mouth around on them and spit them out and, <laughs> and, and do, lick them. Yeah, lick them. Do, do you feed uh, the the milk goats uh, because you're making cheese and and uh, so are they sort of what is their what do you feed them? Well, they get pasture. We've got a um, orchard grass clover hillside mixed, and then we move no, them through no. some different blackberry brambles and multi rows. And then in the mornings, I feed them a sweet feed mixed with alfalfa pellets. 
and keep hay out for them so most they, of the time. They like a good roughage to balance out rich grass. Yeah, I was going to ask you if the, if you do that. Now, uh, the hay, is it like alfalfa or just uh, a good quality uh, grass? Good, mm-hmm. just, a, just a good quality grass. Hay. That's right. What about the chickens? You got some chickens? I do have chickens. Uh, free-range chickens? Mm-hmm. Tell me what a free-range chicken is. I Christina. open the door in the morning, and they go out all day long, and they come back at dark. At dark. Mm-hmm. Well, they come back and put eggs in the box during the day, but for the most part, they do what they want. Do you make soap out of chicken eggs? No. <laughs> I, well, I can make glue out of chicken eggs. You can. You can make glue out of chicken eggs, but... Uh, um, and the, but the eggs that you're getting are pretty much for your own consumption, or do you yeah. sell eggs? I sell some at the farmer's markets. Some mm-hmm. so show up with that. Yeah, between three and six dozen a week. We only have about 18 hens. So we got goats, we got chickens. What else we got on the farm? Mm, me, Bill, the dog, bees. bees. Bill's the bee guy, though. That's right. You, I, I, the, uh, you should have brought him with you, because I get asked all the time about bees and about uh about honey and and uh, and a lot of people have had concern over the the loss of a lot of our beehives mm-hmm. and, and bees from uh is it disease is it pesticides does what do you guys think you know that's a kind of a big question out there that everybody wants answered i think i think it's a little bit all over it whether it's the radio frequencies that we're pumping out everywhere and it's also the, the pesticides and <laughs> i think it's the you know a lot of it's just the environment that we're living in now you know, it's toxic for us in many ways as well as the bees. I think they're a good indicator. I, I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think nature as a whole is a pretty good indicator of what's going on around us and, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and and what's happening. And I also know that nature is pretty good at, at taking care of herself. Where nature tends to get in trouble is when man tries to interfere. I agree. We, th- we think we have all the answers to uh, to be able to uh, to deal with that. So... We got goats, we got chickens, and we got bees. Do you grow anything in the ground that yeah, you can little bit. consume? Yeah, we grow a garden of our own, and then I do a specialty salad mix, which is a mescaline mix, and then I blend it with different wild cultivated. Okay, tell people what that is. That's it's basically a leafy green mix that also has got um, arugula in it and sometimes some little uh, mizuna or kale. And then I go pick... Um, Wild plants that I cultivate yeah. around the garden, wood sorrel, dandelions, wood violet, goodies like that to add to it. Which are all good and make a great salad. Mm-hmm. I, I tell people all the time, you can make a really great salad out of your back, what grows in your backyard, if you know what you're looking for. If you know what you're looking for, yeah. And, so I selectively uh, weed the, you know, weeds out and then leave some of the weeds there to yeah, eat. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I always tell people, though, if you if you want to do that, and I strongly recommend you do that, I, you need to go... Uh, get some classes and not just read a book and look at pictures because a lot of times there's a lot of plants out there and depending on the time of the year that look alike and one's good for you and one's not so absolutely good for you. so you have to really you really need to get into that and do that so do you sell the salad uh, stuff that you're a little bit together? yeah this this week actually i've gotten some in the truck that's the first batch that's come ready this spring and uh, uh, you were telling me off the air, you, your farm's really only, what, three acres, did you say? That's right. Yeah. And uh, and a three-acre farm, uh, you not only can sustain your family on three acres, you can uh, you, you can produce more than you need and, and can sell some of it. We do. Absolutely. Absolutely. I tell people all the time, they think you've got to have a, 
a large farm area or large area to grow things, and and that's just not true. No, it's I mean, really just about how you manage the area that you got. <clears throat> Absolutely, it it is. Do you have to uh, back on the goats? Do you um, with the three do you, do you have to rotate the the pasture? Or do they pretty much just stay in the area that they're in? They have an area that get, that's a small area that's divided into multiple sections, and I rotate them through that. And then I have movable electric net fences also that we take to other areas and let them graze under the power lines and anywhere we have brush growing up, or sometimes in the yard when I don't feel like mowing, I let them do it. Yeah, so you you've kind of got a management system mm-hmm. down for you for your grazing. And uh, you know, I met a lady a few years ago and her husband who had. I think I, I think they had twenty four, twenty five goats, and they rented the goats out to people to clean up uh, pastures and yards that had overgrown and things, and that was pretty neat. That's a growing business, I believe. I, I'd never heard of it, mm-hmm. and she says, "Oh yeah," and uh, they had a little trailer, and they would you could rent a goat or two and bring them over to your place, and as long as you had a place and. Uh, uh, and they even had one area where they had uh, staked two of them out, two goats out, because they didn't have a fence around it, but it was in a back area and uh, uh, didn't take them that long. And they pretty well cleaned it up pretty good where they could then get in there with a the bush hog. And, They'll do uh, it. And and do something. So uh, <clears throat> They're really a- great animals for developing land like that. I had them at a farm in Georgia and started with just big blackberry patch that was overgrown and you could hardly get a bush hog in there and two years later it had the most beautiful stand of poison ivy you've ever seen and two years after that we had beautiful pasture but it was all the work of the goats. Will they, will they eat poison ivy? Absolutely. And, and mm-hmm. did, yeah. Uh, but that makes some milk taste well. <laughs> Doesn't change the taste but I think it helped me with my uh, <laughs> my sensitivity to poison <laughs> ivy. Poison ivy that got to you there a little bit. Um yeah, I, I was amazed when she told me that that, that they literally rented uh, rented goats out to help people mm-hmm. clean up clean up areas, and then they would get in there with the with their bush hogs, and after the goats had had gone away, and that's that was really their their job with the goats. Yeah, I, I was gonna I was gonna back up a minute. You're talking about the milk goats. Um, about how long? What's their lifespan? And do you you start milking them? When do they have their first babies? And when do you? couple of years old or younger? Or? Well, you can breed them as young as nine months. I like to wait till they're about a year old at least, or 90 pounds, as, at least for the Nubian breed, what you're shooting for is, you know, to have enough size on it to sustain a baby through the first winter. Yeah. Um, some people wait till the second year, and I would have to say, in my experience, I used to do that, but I haven't seen a big difference in the long-term growth of the animal or the lifespan either. And what about the lifespan? They live anywhere from 10 to 15 years as kind of average goat. Most of the time they're starting to be retired at 9 or 10 years old because milk supply will slow down and can start having more trouble with birthing. So so from about, so you can get about 8 good years of milking mm-hmm. out, of, out, of, uh, out of a goat. Mm-hmm. Sometimes and, uh, longer. Just... Leslie's uh, giving me a finger over here. What, what were you saying, Leslie? Well, it's got to be less than that now because that was a few. <laughs> 45 seconds. Yeah, we have 45 <laughs> seconds. Yeah, uh, in there, and so, well, we're, uh, this is Dale in Nature's Edge, and we're talking with Christina, we're talking about goats and chickens and, and uh, things you need in your yard, and uh, just a little bit of everything. We're going to come back, and I'm going to talk to Christina a little bit about her wild women stuff, and uh, so stand by for that. We shall be back.
Hey guys, it's Bill, and I want to thank you for being tuned in to Nature's Edge and enjoying the show today. We're we're talking to Miss Christina Gordon um, about goats and chickens and weeds and plants that you can eat and her life as a, as an organic farmer and just an all around uh, neat lady. And and something that uh, Christina does that uh, especially. Uh, my uh, my female type listeners might be interested in. Uh, you do a a woman's wilderness workshops, right? That's I mean, right. You, you bring these women in and uh, teach them how to do things, and we're going to talk about that a little bit. And and of course, some of you that know me know that I've uh, have done my wild women's uh, uh, wilderness uh, programs for a number of years now. And and Christine and I were talking about that a little earlier. Uh, um, a little there. My wife uh, says I'm the only guy that uh, gets 15 to 20 women to pay him to take them into the woods. But it's uh, we have a great time out there teaching them uh, all these uh, these great primitive skills. And and Christina, tell me a little bit about. Uh, first of all, I think it's extremely important that that men, women, and children all get into nature and and learn these work. You know, learn to. Uh, be sufficient out there and do that. So, tell tell us a little bit. What is the, what is the the women's uh, wilderness workshops all about? Yeah, women's wilderness workshops started when I was uh, going to different primitive skills events and teaching, and was asked to teach women's fire making, mm. and was doing a women's only fire class. Had never taken one, and first asked myself, what is the difference in making fire with women than men? And mm-hmm. came up with a few different things. And so I sat down, and in the first class, I had a lot of women say, I've wanted to do this but was intimidated because there was always a man teacher and it just wasn't something I felt comfortable coming to do. So right. after doing several classes um, on fire making with women, I thought how many other of these hard skills like this are women missing out on because we're, you know, kind of in a in an event that's rough and out in the woods and they may not do this. And then I asked myself how many women also may not even come to this event because it looks intimidating to them. And so from there, my fellow Bill kept saying, you've got to do this, you've got to do this. And I kept saying, oh, at some point I will and so last year I decided to make it happen and uh, we had 80 women in camp and uh, it's held out in Canton, North Carolina at Camp Daniel Boone and it's kind of cushy camping so I wanted to bridge the gap between women who know how to go throw a bed roll down on the ground and camp and also women who've never been camping at all so we have platform tents and cots and bathrooms and showers um, two locally raised meals per day, and then thousands of acres of the Pisgah National Forest right behind us. Yeah, that you're able to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, I kind of got into uh, doing some of my uh, independent women's training for the same reason because I, I would I would have uh, I would do events and I would have women there or I'd have wives there or something else like that, and and the women did seem to you know. Uh, somehow seemed to be intimidated not by me but by their uh, their husbands and spouses and other men that were in there and uh then when i did the uh, the women only stuff just like you i i i found the women to you know they really like it and also i find that the women will ask questions much more than the men will you know we're kind of macho so we we mm-hmm. we know how to do it but the women would really would really ask specific questions and and get more uh, detailed into would you did you grow up sort of in the outdoor world in the wilderness world and i grew up in sort of the suburbs of atlanta and uh uh rockdale county and then in north georgia from mm. the time i was 14 on in pickens county and i would say that it was when we moved to pickens county when i was a teenager that i got a little bit more outdoors 
And then, uh, so then you decided to, to learn the skills, or did you have family members that sort of taught you the skills? Yeah, or? we went camping growing up and went to the lake and played, but the skills really came into my life when I was 21 years old and went to um, Earth Skills Rendezvous. I think it was called Rendezvous. Earth Skills Workshops Workshop, at that point. Yeah. It had been uh, running 20 years, put on by three men, Derry Wood, Stephen Taylor, and Bob Slack Jr., and I uh, went to learn how to make fire by friction, and the fire teacher was not there that time, so I made a bowl, but I was hooked. And after doing some wood carving, came back the next time and learned fire making and basketry, and it, you know, just kind of like a seed sprouted from there. Oh, absolutely! Mm-hmm. Uh, did, that. did you um, did you hunt and fish growing up, or mm, we went fishing a little bit, but not a whole lot. No, didn't grow up in a hunting, fishing, or farming family. Just sort mm-hmm. of. Came my grandparents to you. left all that behind. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. just, just just sort of just sort of come so. Um, <clears throat> so you're doing the uh, you're doing the wilderness workshops now. I, mean, I am. Uh, yeah. And and do you do more than one or do you have I guess this is something that people can go on your website and find out about. They uh, can. The dates I teach a lot of different places. I teach for um, Earth Skills Rendezvous spring and fall, April and October. Sure. I hold workshops at my farm throughout the year. So everything from high tanning to fire by friction to cheese making, soap making, Dairy Goats 101. You can come for three days and learn everything I know about goats. Or that I can tell you in three days anyway. About goats, yeah. um, the Women's Wilderness Workshops I host once a year just in August in the summer. And it's a uh, five days total that we're there. And then I teach for different primitive skills groups. I uh, work with the Seminole Tribe of Florida. And, um, yeah, schools. Did some classes with Mayland Community College this, this summer and after-school programs with some of the local elementary schools. You know, it's uh, it's amazing. We have a, a lot in common. I do a lot of stuff with the Seminole. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. We, that's uh, something interesting that uh, that I've done over the years with, with some of the other uh, other tribes. Do you do any workshops for 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 uh, young young ladies? Well, we have young ladies who come into camp, but I have not got any specifically for that. And we're looking right now trying to get some more young women or a Girl Scout troop or different groups like that that we can bring in because I think it can empower you even more great, well, maybe that's the wrong way to say it, more greatly <laughs> when you're young yeah, yeah. than when you hit it when you're 20 and 30 years old or even older. Oh, I agree. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, if I, I, I try to get uh, young men and women out into the wild as early as possible and mm-hmm. get them out there and get them involved because I, what I find too is then they go home and kind of drag parents, mom and dad out into there too so they wind up uh, mm-hmm. getting families out there but uh um, I've had a young, I've had some young, uh, young ladies, uh, you know, ten, twelve, uh, in some of my classes, and they really get hooked on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they uh, they're constantly calling me or sending me little uh, emails or well, they tweet or and and stuff and asking me questions, and uh, it's pretty exciting to to see the excitement uh, get on their uh, on their little faces and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really teaching them some skills that they knew throughout their life, but also um, it shows them that they can do things. That uh, you know that that, that they are, they're able to compete out there and teaching them decision making skills and and everything else. Tell me, what is animal fat? Animal fat is the name I chose for my business. I'm teaching a lot of these workshops, and the reason I decided to do animal fat. P-H-A-T, I P-H-A-T, should say that, yeah. so that everybody listening mm-hmm. knows that, 
is um, fat was kind of a throwback to the slang of growing up in the suburbs of Atlanta, which is like cool, good, um, but also everything I do seemed to revolve around animals. So from being a veterinary technician for six and a half years to brain tanning, which is using the fat and the hides of animals. Oh, yeah. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Yeah, goat, yeah. goats and cheese and soap making are about separating fats and water from the animal. Um Felting is another skill that I teach, and so I realized that, you know, being a farmer and also teaching a lot of these skills, I'm gravitating towards many of them that are about our relationship to animals and how they plug into our lives on a very basic level. What about fibers? you do anything, uh, mm-hmm. any weaving or any of that? No weaving and spinning. I go a little more primitive and do felting. So we just take raw wool from the sheep, throw it out in kind of a controlled method, and make a beautiful piece of fabric that's essentially a glorified mat. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, but it, it's... But it works. It does. Yeah, we make some really nice bags and purses, and soon we'll graduate into shoes and vests. When you get to the shoes, uh, let me know. I, I, I need a, a new pair. I had a uh, actually I had a lady who uh, up in Wisconsin or Michigan or somewhere that uh, that had made me a pair of boots using that method, and those mm-hmm. were the, they were great. They were warm. They were amazing. And I finally I still have them, but they. Uh, they need some patching and some some work done on them. We're talking to the amazing uh, Christina Gordon about uh, about all things outdoors, from uh, uh, goats and to soap to cheese to uh, her uh, her teaching uh, uh, her women's wilderness workshops and uh, and and her uh, program Animal Fat, which is her that's the education course. Mm-hmm. Uh, Name of the there. business. Yeah. And uh, when we come back after this break, we are going to talk to her a little bit about tanning, uh, tanning animal hides and deer hides and uh, how she does that. This is Dale. You're listening to Nature's Edge, and we will return. I do like this song. Well, I guess I better start talking. This is Dale. <laughs> You're listening to Nature's Edge. I was about to doze off there listening to uh, Hotel California and the Eagles, which I do enjoy. We have had, a um, so far, a great time talking to uh, Christina Gordon. Uh, Christina is the uh, in partnership uh, in a little farm called Fun Frolic Farm. And Can, can people just come visit you? I prefer they call first. We're not open well, yeah. to the public right now, but yeah, we have a lot of visitors come by and see goats and just check it out. We'll probably do a little more of that in the coming years. Yeah, I would. I would think it'd be. Nah, I'll just show up, Christina. <laughs> <laughs> I may or may not grin at you. That's it. That's. Right. That's uh, I made friends with her dog earlier, so we're in good shape. Uh, Christina's got a. Uh, how old is he? Five. Five months old. Five months old. Uh, little puppy that she brought with her he, he was she was gonna she had him out in the truck and i said bring him in and uh that's when i found out he was five months old and, he, and he's a, five <laughs> he's a uh, terrier mix yeah he's, he's, and he's still learning right mm-hmm. yeah I mean, he's getting it though but he does good mm-hmm. he does good he does he, all right. he, you got to get him around people and get him out there and all of that well it's his first office visit setting office setting visit yeah he did good um 
and uh, he didn't make any uh, any messes or do anything out there. Mm-mm. We have talked a lot about the goats and uh, the workshops and and the the chickens and and all the other stuff. But uh, I know I have a lot of listeners who are into tanning, mm-hmm. and uh, I know you do uh, brain tanning. Do you, do you do any hide, or you primarily focus on deer hides, or? Let's talk about tanning. Tanning, yeah. And I primarily do deer hides. Um, I have a lot of people want me to tan cow hides, and I say you should send it to a commercial tanner. I'm not going to do it. I've tried one buffalo and made beautiful raw hide that had went on to head many big drums. Um, I learned quickly that I weigh as much as a buffalo hide does, do. and it'd be good yeah. to help a couple of people help me with it. What? But uh, deer, I do a little furs, so any kind of little rodents, not rodents, but little uh, varmints <laughs> yeah, I <more>. find. <laughs> Sometimes if they're in good shape, I'll pick them up and bring them home too. And, so. and do that. Well, you, you know, I know where you might get some buffalo hide. Mm-hmm. Well, I learned that earlier. There's, you know, a <laughs> buffalo farm here. <laughs> yeah, um, but you do know that, uh, but you're right, their, their hides are are pretty big are big and they're heavy mm-hmm. and uh i have a, a real appreciation for the american indians uh early on who uh, man uh tanned those hides and and uh and made everything um, out of them but uh yeah, maybe I'll show up one day with a buffalo hide and say, here you go. Then I'd grin at you. <laughs> yeah. Here you go. As long as that's not August. <laughs> yeah, yeah, knock yourself out. So, so let's talk about, so where do you get your deer hides? Do you go out and, and harvest the animals yourself? No, do you... I don't actually hunt deer. I have a processor in Georgia that I have worked with for the last eight years, and I go in during hunting season um, where they're mostly being thrown away. Yeah. And I pick up the waste stream, and so he does a really good job, uses a winch to skin them for me and keeps them, and I also don't have to hunt because they get donated deer and so i can pay the processing fee and put two or three in my freezer that way also so i uh get to visit family over the holidays and collect animal parts uh, yeah well you know i do hunt so Mm -hmm. so um i'm a bow hunter as a lot of my listeners know so uh, now i know what to do with my uh, deer hides when i freeze them and call me call you uh, (laughs) roll them up freeze them and 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 call you on that uh, um so what do you do with your hides? I mean, after you tan them, do you do you do you sell them? Do you have suppliers? Uh, I do. I sell. Or do you make shirts and moccasins and pants and leggings out of them? I or? sell them to people who do that. And so we collect between thirty and fifty hides every fall, and I make a traditional brain tan buckskin. So it's a tradition a method of tanning hides where you use the brains of the animal to make the leather soft. It's basically just an emulsifier. Well, fat. yeah. Could you just real quickly walk us through that process? I can. I call it my. Uh, Three days and 30 minutes. There you <laughs> I go. mean, in 30 seconds. 30 seconds. So, we ain't got 30 uh, minutes. We ain't got 30 minutes. It's, um, yeah, so basically you take the hide off the animal, you flesh it. Um, I do a dry scrape method. I used to do a wet scrape method. I put them in frames. We keep about eight frames, uh, hide stretched in frames in the basement, and then you can just pull them out with a sharp edge tool and remove the hair in the outer epidermis. Put the hide in a solution of brains and water. It soaks up that oil from the brains, and then while it dries, you soften the hide uh, by pulling and stretching and breaking the fibers down. And then to finish it, you smoke the hide. Uh, basically, dig a hole, get a bed of coals, put some rotten wood in there, put the hide over it, and the carbon from the smoke coats the fibers of the hide. So you end up with this really uh, super soft, supple, sham- chamois-like, um, suede-like, buckskin leather that's a hair off that can then be used traditionally to make moccasins leggings breech clouts purses bags coats dresses anything we use modern day fabric for yeah Yeah. mostly they get sold to either primitive skills folks uh, to some of the native folks in cherokee and in florida that i know and then uh reenactors 
Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That, I know the reenactors is a big market uh, uh, for things like that. How long from the time you get the hide until it's ready to uh, to be sold? How, how long does that process of brain tanning take? Roughly? I give it a six to twelve hours per hide. Uh, usually that's spread over. Um, I break them up. I usually work several hides together at a time, and so I'll brain, you know, I'll scrape out eight, and then we'll brain eight hides, and then we'll soften eight hides, and then we'll smoke them in pairs. And where do you get your brains? Do you get those from the same processor? From a deer processor, yeah. yeah. Sometimes here recently I bought um, pork brains. Some It's harder to get pork brains now. You used to could really? order food-grade pork brains from most butchers, but... Uh, Sadly, I've learned that we're shipping them to China like everything else. So why you would ship a pork brain to China, I have no idea. Do they, but, uh, uh, do they eat them with the scrambled eggs or something? Like well, that? we used to, yeah. but they, <laughs> I don't know what they're doing with them there. You know. So about how many hides do you do? And, and you're doing this over the winter time, right? Yeah, we collect winter. hides through the fall and in the winter, and then throughout the year I scrape them and sell them just kind of as needed. I do less hide tanning during the summer because I'm busier yeah. with the farm and the goats and such. But um, I would say I tan about twenty to twenty-five hides a year. Well, yeah, and then I've got Bill up and coming now, so he's in the five to ten hide per year range. There you go. There you go. And. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and I'm pretty good at doing that myself. So if you ever need an extra hand, and I, and I know several other people around here, is I, I know you do in this uh, uh, Western North Carolina that are pretty good at doing that mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, and and get in it. Now, do you teach that uh, that skill? I do. Is that mm-hmm. yeah? We teach three day workshop at the farm, and so people show up noon on Friday, and we do a Friday afternoon all day Saturday, and about three quarters of the day Sunday. And send you is, home with a finished buckskin. And this is men or women? Uh, men and women that that, mm-hmm. that can come through that that class. Absolutely. Do, do you have an age limit? Uh, I prefer people to be at least fourteen or so, or yeah. have a parent come along with you. Because with I them. have found under fourteen, fifteen years old, then. Um, they don't really realize the amount of work that they're getting into. It's three intensive days to take a hide from soaking in a bucket of lye all the way to a finished leather that you can make clothes with. Make, make something out mm-hmm. of and, and do that. But, uh, yeah, I find the same thing. And, and uh, uh, one of us there whose attention uh, span is not too long is, is enough. <laughs> and uh, and I kind of wander when I'm doing that kind of stuff. But I, I, I thoroughly do enjoy doing it. Um so mainly deer hides, but uh, mm-hmm. you have tried you have tried other hides. Yeah, I'll do custom hides, hair on. If somebody has a fur they won't tan, then we'll brain tan that. Sometimes I mix in other fats with it to, to, to yeah. keep the hair in better. To do that, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I had a I had a guy call me, uh, I, and uh, I would have given him your number, Christina, but uh, he wanted uh, he was a reenactor and wanted a, a coonskin hat mm-hmm. cap, and so he was looking for somebody, and he called me and said, "Dale, can you make me a coonskin cap or a hat?" Uh, said I can, but no, I don't. Have yeah, I might have taken that <laughs> yeah, one on. <laughs> I mean, I don't have the time, but uh, yeah, I, I actually sent him to someone else here uh, locally that I know uh, uh, who did that, and uh, uh, that we both know, and and uh, we are um, we're almost out of time, Christina. Give us give us that website again where all your your stuff is located. Well, I've got a few womenswildernessworkshops.com is the one for the women's skills event. Right. And then you can go to either animalfat.com, P-H-A-T, or funfrolicfarm.com to see my workshops and classes and um, different products, goat milk, soaps, lotions, just kind of a conglomeration of all the goodies that we we do and do make at the farm. Do uh, pictures of baby goats on there? I think I have pictures of goats on there. And, uh, Are you on? Les- <laughs> I was going yeah, to think, Les- what pictures do yeah, I have Les- on there? Leslie <laughs> goes on there. All right, mm-hmm. guys. Well, we have had uh, Christina, thanks so much for, for coming on here and talking to us uh, 
about the farm and all the neat stuff that you do and uh, we uh, we are out of time and this is Dale with Nature's Edge and until I talk to you again I hope to see you in the wild <laughs>